In a day when chaos reigns, at a time when spiritual darkness covers the face of the earth, there is a movement. A groundswell of change is happening. God is being true to his word and keeping his promise. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that standard, and it is being lifted up like a mighty banner of hope for all to see. Men, women, students, and children are all finding life in that banner. The church is waking up. A mighty army is coming together to proclaim truth, righteousness, the forgiveness of sins, and the power of God's word. Jesus is building his church. And in spite of those who try to silence it, shut it down, and stop its work, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. This is a move of the Spirit of God. This is a move to lift high the banner. This is a move of the church. Join the movement. Amen. I'm glad you're here. Glad you chose to join the movement this morning. Amen. Amen. It's good to do some new series. It's good to be in the series and be a part of them. But uh, part of our intention of uh, moving on and doing new things periodically is that God is always doing new things. Amen. And I don't want to get stuck in a rut in my faith. Amen. I don't want us as a church to get stuck in a rut in our faith. I want to be right up there on the front edge of what he's doing, where he's leading, and what he is about. Amen? You know, this, uh, this salvation that we have received, we all, we all know this, but I just want to say it out loud. It is by his mercy and grace alone. Amen? There's nothing that you and I have done to earn it or deserve it. There's nothing that you and I can do to pay for it or make ourselves worthy of it. Amen? He chooses and he, by his grace, shows his love toward us, makes a way of salvation for us. And then, in one of the most humbling moves, he says, now, you can receive this through the act of faith. For by grace, through faith, you are saved. Amen? He doesn't say by finally proving yourself, finally doing enough good things, and if you promise to do good for the rest of your life, then I might give you salvation. That's not the way it works. That's how some religions work today. But that's not what God says in his word that salvation is. Amen? And so in in just the same way that he gives salvation as a gift as a grace to us that we don't deserve. It's his favor to us, undeserved. He also invites us to be part of his work on earth. He says, now, I'm going to give you another layer to this gift. I'm going to call you and invite you to be part of what I am doing because God is at work. Amen? Even when we can't see it, he's working. Even when we don't know how he's working, 
We know that and we believe that by faith. And so he invites us to be part of that. He invites us as the church to be part of that movement because there is nothing that's outside of his control. Amen? There's nothing that's outside of his reigning power. Amen? There's nothing going on today that he hasn't always been aware of, planned for, and has a purpose in. Amen? He is, he is in all of it. You and I might wake up, scroll through our phone, and say, oh, Lord, did you see that? And he says, yeah, I saw it before I ever created it all. I knew it all. I've planned for it all. And watch this. You and I are called to be part of it. If you weren't, you wouldn't be here today. Hello? You would have been gone already. You'd have been with him already. But the fact that you are still here, amen, you have a purpose and a plan. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. We're all part of that. And he's chosen by grace to make us part of that. He says you and I are now the light of the world, the salt of the earth, the temple of the Holy Spirit, ambassadors who represent Jesus Christ, ministers of reconciliation. We are the pillar and foundation of truth in the world. We're going to talk more about that statement alone. That's from Scripture itself, saying that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. We alone have been given the calling and challenge to hold up, elevate, and proclaim the truth. That's our role. No one else on the planet has the truth but the church. Get comfortable with that because it's true, all right? We've all been fed a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things I could have said right there (laughs) that would tell us we have a truth, they have a truth, they have a truth, they have a truth. Look, the only way it can be truth is if there's one of it. The rest is everybody else's opinion, And the truth belongs to the church alone. I don't care who you are out there. If we're going to believe the Bible, then the Bible says the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. Just just, let's go ahead and get all comfortable with that because we're going there in this series. And because of this plan and purpose, God has chosen to work through the church in this day and this time. He's called us to be the ones who respond to him. Because when you look at the scripture, when God wants to do a work in a people, he begins with those who know him. He always begins with them. And then that work spreads from there. So if God's going to do, let me me rewind. When God does a work, not if, when God works, he will always begin with his church today. It's true. You, You search the scripture, and if you find something different, come tell me. But the word of God tells us that he begins in his people first. 
So if we go back to uh, the Old Testament, for example, God chose a man named Abram who would become Abraham, and God made a promise to him. He said, I'm going to bless you, and you will become a blessing to others. And from him would come a nation. From him came Israel. God chose Israel to be that people group that he would use to show everybody else on the planet what it means to follow him. Was it because they were rich? Nope. Was it because they were popular? Nope. Was it because they were talented? Nope. Was it because they were vast in number? Nope. He chose them all before they were even a nation and said, this is just who I'm going to choose because this is who I choose. Well, why did you choose them? Because that's who I'm going to choose. There are things within the mystery of God that you and I don't always understand, and it's okay, right? Because that's where we trust him by faith. So when he chooses Israel, he says, now I am going to work through you, Israel, so that all nations might come to know me, but you are going to be the icon. You are going to be the people group that I will move through first to show everybody else what it looks like to have me as God. Amen? That's what he did. And, and he made a promise. Look, look in uh, Exodus chapter 19. I've got this on screen here. Uh, God makes a promise to them, and he says this. Now, therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Say, well, that's not fair. Exactly. Now you're starting to get it. Grace doesn't fit on the fair continuum. You can't line up what is all fair and find a place where grace fits in there. It doesn't work that way. God gives grace when you don't deserve it, and so that eliminates fair from the picture. God chooses a people group, and he says, now, if you'll follow me and you'll keep my covenant with you, you will be my special treasure. Does it mean he'll love them more than all the other people on the earth? No. It just means he's going to use them to be the conduit in which he shows all the people of the earth what it looks like to love him. Do you hear me? So this is God's promise to them. He says, this is going to be the way I will show the world what it looks like to know me. And he chose Israel for that purpose. They were going to be on the leading edge of all he was doing. When God started a work in the earth, he started with them. He chose them. And whatever he was going to do, he always started with them. So big picture moment truth here on screen. Here we go. When God moves on the earth, he always moves, should be an S right there, just to admit my mistake, through his gathered people first. Take this in. Take a picture if you want with your phone. Hold on to this truth. It's very important. When God moves on the earth, he always moves through his gathered people first. This is the way he always works. He's done it from, from page one to page last. It's the way it always is has been, and will be. He moves through his people first, his gathered people first. He moved through the nation of Israel first. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. Now, as you read through the scripture, we all know the story that when Jesus came and presented himself to the people of Israel, they 
rejected him. They did not receive him as Messiah. Some did, but the nation as a whole did not. So as a result, God said, I'm going to do a new thing. This did not catch God by surprise. This did not catch God at a place like, oh no, what am I going to do? He said, I already have a plan from the beginning because my son was slain from the foundation of the world and I chose the people from the foundation of the world. He said, I'm going to choose a new group now that won't be based on their nationality, Israel. They're going to be based on their faith in my son. And he called them the church. And he says, now you are going to be the people group that I'm going to use to move on the earth. When I begin to do something, I'll start in my people first. It's important for us to remember because you and I are part of that church. Look, this place right here, Vertical Churchill Villa, on this property at the corner of Cockrell Hill or Main Street and Ovilla Road, this is not just a Sunday activity for us. This is not just a cool thing that would be fun to do to get together with some other Christians and have a lighthearted time and feel good about ourselves the rest of the week. Look, that may be some side benefit to this, but God has called the church in this day and time to be the place and people and purpose that he will use to change this world. So there is eternal significance in this piece of property secured for us a long time ago There is eternal significance in the salvation purchased for us at the cross a long time ago. There is eternal significance in the Holy Spirit being given to the church a long time ago in the book of Acts that said, now I'm going to work through all of those who will receive me by faith and they will be the pillar and foundation of truth in this world. They will be the ambassadors for my son, Jesus. They will be the temple and expression and filling of the Holy Spirit in this world today. And that is us. Amen. I can get fired up about that. Amen. When God wants to move, when God begins to move, he does it through his people first. He does it through his gathered people first. Let me just camp out on this for just a moment. Church has so many different definitions and forms, or I should say expressions and forms. The idea of church really, uh, in definition, is a group of called out ones, the assembled ones, the gathered ones who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. But I like to liken it uh, to something different than a building sometimes because we can get caught up in the church as the building, which in some ways, yes, this is a church. But the church is the people who are inside the building, right? We are the church. We are the called out ones. It's not the building that God uses to provide salvation and, or, or be the conduit for salvation. It's through the people that are inside that building and who walk out of that building, right? So church could also be, maybe another word that we might understand is family, right? When your family's gathered together, your family in that moment. The holiday season is soon approaching. Pumpkin lattes are already starting to flow out there, right? All that kind of stuff. There'll be some times you'll get together with your family. So when you are sitting at home in your house and you are alone, are you family? Yeah, part, yeah, I'm, I'm a member of my family. Just because I'm alone doesn't make me anything less than my family, right? If you are with your spouse, 
and one of your children, are you your whole family? I mean, if that's all your family is, it might be, but usually there's a larger group that you're a part of, and you'd say, well, I'm, I mean, that's still part of my family, but when everybody gets together, that's when the family is there, right? Yeah, that's family with all that it is. Okay. We could use another word. We could say um, army, an army, a division of the army or the army itself. If one soldier is alone somewhere, is he the army? He's part of the army, and he's a soldier. He might have the backing and strength of his other fellow soldiers, but if he's alone, he's still alone. If there are two or even three guys, women, who are part of the military, are they the army? Not necessarily. They would be part of it, but they're still not the fullness of it. But if all the battalions are together and they're all gathered and they've got purpose and they've been communicated with and they have their, their task ahead of them, they are the army. Amen? So look, in our day, there's power when you are alone with the Lord. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and when he dwells in you, he dwells in you by your faith and you are complete in him. You have everything you need in that moment with him. Amen? Amen? Now, if you are gathered with two or three believers, are you any more a believer than you were when you were just by yourself? No. Stay with me here. Come on now. In fact, Jesus said, if two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Jesus shows up in a different way all of a sudden when there's two or three gathered together. There's a different expression all of a sudden. There's a different sense of purpose and power, right? And when the whole church gets together, there's something even different that happens in that moment, right? That's why we gather here on Sunday mornings because the scripture calls us to this kind of gathering. And there's power in this kind of gathering. There's something different that happens when you're worshiping with other people in a moment like this. There's something different that happens when everybody's using their gifts that God has given them in a place like this. There's something different that happens when we are encouraging one another, praying for one another, when we are laughing and weeping with one another, when we are sharing our lives together, when we are all gathered together, there's something different that happens. And when we hear God's word and we all hear it together and we all take a step and we march to the same step that God has called us to as a church together, there's something different and powerful that happens. That's when there's a greater movement of God, I believe, is when the church is gathered together under his banner. Amen? It's true. It's true. So, I want us to be aware of these two essential truths before we get into this message today, that God, when he moves, he moves in those who know him first, and he moves when they are gathered together. So we go back to Exodus, and it, God has called his people, and he says, I'm going I'm to do a special work in, in your life, but not just in your life, but through you as a people group, as a nation. I'm going to work through you. You're going to be my representatives on the earth. It's interesting what follows that passage, because God says to them next, I'm going to give you now what's going to be your distinctiveness. I want to tell you what's going to separate you from everybody else. If you're going to be my people, then I want to give you what's going to make you unique 
what's going to make you set apart, what's going to make you distinctive. So we get into Exodus 20. This is where God gives the commandments, his covenant and commandments. You and I know them as the Ten Commandments. I want to look at the very first one today because this first one is going to set them apart from all other nations. And what it says to them, God says to us, I want to work through you. You are my people, but I've got to call you first to some ownership of who you are and some obedience to who I am. Amen? So here's what God says to them in Exodus 20. The first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. This is your distinctiveness. This is what sets you apart. You're not to have anything else like what the world has, no other gods you bow to, nothing more important in your life than me. This one thing will set you apart to be able to be used by me to reach the worlds, the nations in the world. He goes on in verse 5, he says this, and you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. So our other big point this morning is this. When God moves through his people, he calls them to a holy allegiance to him only. It's important. It's important in our day to be the church who is the pillar and the ground of truth. You and I have to accept that calling and step up in obedience to what that means. And the very first thing God said to the children of Israel was, no other gods. Don't bow down to them. Don't serve them. This will be your distinctiveness. This will be what separates you. This will be who you are. So our message today as the first in our series of Join the Movement is this. We will not bow. Amen? Amen. What a day and time in which we live. Uh, to see so much change in just what seems like less than a year's time. To see the heart of the nation change to see laws change, to see expectations change, to see uh, the way we are viewed as the church change. And it is in a day like this that you and I must be, must be clear about who we are and who it is we serve. Because there is a call today from the culture to not serve the one true and living God but to serve the other gods of this world in this day and time. Amen? And it's interesting. God has made us with a capacity and actually a desire to want to worship something. We're all that way. All of us want to give ourselves to something. You want to have something you can pour your energies into, something you can look up to, something you can chase after, something that's bigger than you, something that's greater than you. That's been hardwired into man. Every person is born with that in them. But God's design is that you and I would come to realize that we are not that God. He alone is that God. He can rescue and redeem our heart, and we live forever worshiping him, serving him, bowing to him. 
gathering as a people, reminding ourselves, he alone is the king, right? Amen. Which, side note here, you might have noticed in the worship today this theme about Jesus being king, right? You might have also worshiped, uh, you might have also noticed in our worship that there was uh, another theme to the, to the songs that were chosen today. They all have this us and we worshiping him. I want you to pay attention to that over the next two months because that, you're going to see that over and over and over again. Us, we, the king. Amen? That's what he's called us to, to be the church gathered together and we together follow our king. Yeah, that's a little side note there. So uh, our message today is called We Will Not Bow. We're looking at the book of Daniel today. So turn in your Old Testament there or in your Bible to the Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter 3. The book of Daniel is about a time when the nation of Israel has been taken captive. They were God's people. They were a nation. They were called to this allegiance to him only, but they had really drifted away from that. Their heart had gone far away from God, and things began to happen, and all of a sudden, they were, they were far from God. And God is diligent and faithful, and he'll always call his people to himself, and he allowed some other people, another nation, to come in and take them captive. And they are taken away. They are taken out of their homeland, and they're no longer the home team, like we talked about last week. They all of a sudden are the visiting team. They're all of a sudden the songs being played are no longer their school song. It's someone else's school song. The allegiance being demanded is no longer to God but to another God. And they find themselves as the people of God in a foreign land, in a foreign place, being required to serve other gods. Does that feel like a newspaper print today? Hello? All of a sudden, it feels like we are not the home team anymore. We've been mis- misplaced, displaced, removed. And there are other, other allegiances and laws and demands put in place. That's what's happening in the book of Daniel. But don't confuse that kind of activity with the lack of activity of God's hand. God's at work still. In Daniel chapter 3, God is at work. And remember, when God does a work, who is it he always starts in? His own people. That's about to happen here in Daniel chapter 3. So I'm just going to read along and we'll make some comments on this and see what happens as God begins to do a work, as God begins a movement, and he begins in his own people. Chapter 3, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The king, wicked Nebuchadnezzar, who has no interest in God at all, has made an image. Oh, it's a grand image. It's tall. It's, in his eyes, beautiful. And he calls everybody, everybody in his administration, 
Everybody in any place of responsibility, it's time to gather together. Verse 3, so the satraps, administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Mm. The government sets up a plan and says, if you want to continue to live in this region, you have to bow to what we tell you to bow to. And everybody get together, and we're going to play some music. You're going to hear the music of the kingdom. And when it starts, everybody's going to bow down. Everybody is going to bow their knee to this image that the king has set up. Verse 6, and whoever does not fall down and worship, pause, Whoever does not fall down and worship, worship, worship. Wait, you're telling me that we have to all come, not just pay taxes to or give a, a nod to, but you're telling me I have to worship this image? I have to see it as the place of life? I have to see it as what's greater than anything. I have to give my heart to it, my allegiance to it, my emotions to it. I have to serve this image. Yes, whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. It's one thing to be asked to pay some taxes. It's quite another to be asked to be, or it, it's another to be asked to follow the laws. But when all of a sudden there is a, a law demanding that you give allegiance to a way of life and to an image that you are to bow your heart to and look to, this just changed some things. I can live in a country I can follow the laws of that country, but when that country begins to tell me who I can worship and who I cannot worship and what I have to worship and what's gonna happen to me if I don't is that I'll lose my life, that's no longer a country of freedom. Hello? When God called his people, Israel, to bow down and serve him, it was a law, but it was to capture their hearts that they might be one to him that they might love him because he loved them. He made a way for their sins to be atoned for. So don't have any other gods. But what Nebuchadnezzar is saying here is not that at all. There's no possibility for redemption. There's no possibility for escape. You either bow or you die. That's a law from a godless king. Amen? Okay, let's keep going here. Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Hmm, how about that? Some people got upset at the God followers. Hello? They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. 
I'm sure they said it like that. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship, be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Here it comes. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Uh Uh-oh. Do you see it? Do you see cancel culture coming? It's right here. They are about to get axed right here. They're getting tattled on. They're getting told on because everybody's supposed to bow down. But here are these God-following people who will not. And we've just named names. We've just called them out. We've just posted something ugly about them. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of horn flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the image which I have made. If you do that, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands. Nebuchadnezzar's throwing down the gauntlet here. He's drawing the line in the sand. He's calling them to obedience to their law. Fall down and worship. Turn away from your God. Follow my God. Follow my ways. Follow what I say. You don't get to choose anymore. Now in this new administration, everything has to be done our way. I decree how you do, how you live, who you worship, where you go, what you do. I decree you follow. A new administration had come into place. Sound familiar? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I got nothing to say to you, Nebi. Verse 17, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. You see, you've positioned yourself as a king, but there's another king above you, and this is a king we serve. And no matter what you decree, he's already made some greater decrees. And his ways are always greater than your ways. And we will follow him always. If what you say lines up with what he says, we'll do what you say. Not because you say, but because you just happen to line up with what he said. Amen? But the day you stop doing what he says, then we'll stop doing what you say because we have to do what he says even when what you say is not what he says. Amen? Amen. It's the way it works. 
just be just because you and I choose to disobey earthly authorities doesn't mean we are in disobedience to God's ways. I understand what Romans 13 says. Make a note. Go read it yourself. We are called to obey the governing authorities as long as they are governing in line with God's ways. But the minute they are not, as it says in the book of Acts, we will serve our God rather than man. This is our call. Amen? Everybody uncomfortable yet? Good. All right. So um, verse 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, arrive at this moment. They kind of build up to this statement, and here is what they say. And see if you recognize where this comes from. Verse 18. Watch this. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Do you recognize those words? They come from Exodus chapter 20. These three young men, though they were in a different place, were holding to the same truths. They might have been in a land where someone else was reigning, but they were still operating under the kingdom of the king that they served. And they said, we will do what he said. And he strictly told us in some commandments that we shall not have any other gods nor bow down to them or serve them. So when you put that thing up, that's it. We draw the line. We we can work for you. You came and captured us, didn't leave us much choice. You've been elevated in your government service job. They were working for the government. They were getting paid by the government. They were eating the, the king's food. They were wearing the king's clothes. They were going where the king told them to. But all of a sudden, the moment changed. Because you can live in the world, but the minute the world says, now you have to bow to my God, not your God, things change because we will not bow. Amen? If you're going to be God's people that he uses on the leading edge of impacting the world, then you've got to settle in your heart. Where is the line that you say, I will not bow? I will not. I'll go this far. I'll even do this. I might even take two steps to go where I need to, to be at home in this world, play by the rules as much as I can, but here is a line that I cannot cross. That's a place that the church today must decide. We must know where is it that we will say this far and no more. And every family within the church has to draw that line. You have to do that. Every believer must do that. You must decide in your heart, where is the line that I say that far and no more? I'll go by the rules, but I will not bow to the God that you proclaim. Now, in this world today, um, there is... There's a statue that's being set up. 
I don't mean a physical statue. I'm talking about a way of life that has been elevated. It has been built. It's fixed. It's very clear. And there's a command in this day for all to bow to it. The story sounds eerily familiar, as though you're just reading right off the front page of the internet. Because there is a way of life today, like a religion, that people are being commanded and demanded to bow down to. It's not called a religion, but it has all the tenets of a religion. It has everything that looks a lot like the Christian faith, and those in the world are calling people like us to walk away from what we believe and bow to, to give up what we hold to as doctrinal truth, as what we believe is black and white truth from the Bible that we cannot yield on. They're asking us to leave that behind and bow to their ways. Do you feel that pressure? Do you feel that? It's happening in the world today. And you can say, oh, I don't get on the internet, I don't watch the news, I don't read stuff like that. That's awesome. It's still happening. It's out there. Let me just show you some similarities between the way that the world has established today a false religion, we could call it. There is a false religion that is filled with error, demonic activity, Satan himself, and a set destruction on you and I. Let me show you. Take a picture, take some notes. In this false religion of today, it's just like what Paul said in chapter one of Romans. It would be a day in which they would worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. That's what's happening in our day. Man is being established as the one to be worshiped. I agree. There's not a statue being set up today of man and everyone called in line to go bow down to it. But look, there is every evidence that we are being called in our nation and even around the world to bow down to man as God and no longer God as God. Amen? Come on now. The highest law in this new religion is whatever hurt, urge, or desire you've got. If you feel it, it's supreme. If you, if you want it, it's bigger than God. You want to wake up and call yourself a woman when you're a man? You should do that because your ways are higher than God's ways. Hello? If two women want to marry each other and they have an urge to do that, desire to do that, they should do that, the world would say, because their urge, their desire, their need is bigger than what God says. You want to break the covenants and commandments that God has placed upon you in your marriage? You want to break God's law? You want to take the scripture itself and say, I don't know that I believe this is all God's word. I don't know that you can believe everything in it. Well, then today that gets held up and you get respected because you're just making your own decisions all of a sudden. And the world looked at that and says, oh, happy for you. You're so good. You're making your own decisions. Yeah, you choosing to stiff arm God and say, no more. I'll do what I want. I don't want your ways anymore. I'll do my thing. This is the highest law in this new religion, this new day, this new time. Whatever hurt you've got, whatever thing you want to act out against somebody, whatever thing you want to do, whatever thing you want to impose on someone else, you have worth in it, you have value in it, your things matter, your desires matter. And I'm afraid what's caught up with us has been the, 
Trophies in the little league, I'm afraid. Participation trophies for everybody. Everybody's good. Everybody's right. Whatever you feel is right. You lost, it's okay. You, you're worth it. I understand. Trust me. I had five kids. How many grandkids do we have now? Huh? A lot. Too many. No one even knows anymore. I understand. I want my kids to feel loved. But look, teach your kids how to lose a game and walk over and respect the one who won the game and shake their hand. Come on. It's just what we do. You don't have to have a participation trophy at the end of the day for all that. Because if you do that when they're children, what they do when they become teenagers, they're going to say, well, look, I was just feeling kind of lonely in the moment. I didn't want to feel like a loser. Everybody else was going along, and I just felt like this was the right thing to do. I just felt like the drugs, the alcohol, the illicit relationship, homosexuality, transgenderism, I just thought all that just felt right. It seemed like it was right for everybody else. Don't want to get a participation trophy for just doing some of that stuff? Aren't I still worth it and valuable? Hello. Do you see what I'm saying? In this new religion, whatever you feel is right, it has greater value than what God says. Salvation in this new religion is when you rebel against God and truth and design. When you one day say, you know what, I, you know, you're right. I think I really am some other version than a he. I recognize I've got 237 different versions of that I could choose from, but I'm going to find it. And those today who choose that method, who choose that approach, who say, I'm just going to go against what God says, the world says, oh, I'm so proud of you. You're just so special and great. You know, that's what you get. You get rewarded. It's as though you finally came alive, you know? That's what they say. I came out into who I really am. No, you came out into all the sin that the world offers you. You came out of what God had in his plan. You came out of walking in what God says is true, and you walked away. That's what happened. But that becomes the salvation moment. You, gotta, you have to reject all of that in the past. You have to cast the Bible away and cast church away and cast Christians away and go do your own thing. And then if you do that and you really want to be part of the club, you really want to be on the in crowd, you say, hey, I'm woke. That's almost like baptism, really, in the church. You know, we, we bring people up here, we baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ because Jesus was buried and rose again, and we've been buried and rose again in him. That's identifying with him in that moment. Woke today is the way of saying to everybody else, hey, I'm on the in crowd now. I've been woke up to something. I'm sorry, you done woke up on the wrong side of the bed is what happened. You need to get back to some truth and repent of your sin. Uh, the church today, for them, in this false religion, is any kind of oppressed group that you can be a part of. And the more oppressed a group you're in, the more you can claim you've been excluded, overlooked, hurt, offended, uh, not given the job you should have, the more of that you can align with today, the more favor that the world gives you. And they want you to bow down to all of this. Hello? Yeah. It's happening today. If, if you haven't seen it yet in your workplace culture, if you haven't seen it yet in the policy manuals of the place that you work, if you haven't seen it yet in your children's schools, if you haven't seen it yet on the news, you need to open your eyes. You need to be asking some questions. That's the church for them today. The fellowship is joining with others who are in their freedom, they call it, who are awake in that moment. And boy, they've got a savior. They've got someone who's going to rescue them all, and it's the government. 
The government comes along and says, hey, I'm here to lay down my life for you. I'm here to provide a way for you. I'm here to build up walls for you. I'm here to protect you. I'm here to squash all those others who want to offend you even more and won't let you in. I'm here to take up the charge. That's the government today. They look to them as the one who's the savior of all their ills, of all their needs, of all their money, of all their issues, whatever it is. The government will solve it. That's their plan today. Government was never meant to be the savior for a people. Amen? Amen. That, uh, that's not who we look to. Amen? Hey, I'm all for good government. I'm all for Christians being involved in government. I'm all for supporting godly government. I've done some local stuff here in Ovilla even to be a part of what's happening. But look, I never expect the government to be the one who provides everything for me. It's not the government's role to provide my food. It's not the government's role to provide my health care. It's not the government's role to provide for my future even. Hello. It's not the government's role to provide for my education either of my children or my grandchildren or anybody else. Hello. I'd love to have a conversation with that about that or about that if you want to at some point. But let's move on. Um, discipleship. Well, there's a discipleship plan in place today in this culture. There's a plan to educate and train up and mentor everybody in this new woke way. It's out there. I just read a story this morning from the Daily Wire. Let me pull this up. This is quoted from, oh, where'd it go? Here it is. Listen to this. I don't have any way to say all of this without it potentially offending some people. My intention is not to offend anybody, but there is a system of education today. Let me back up. Every system of education teaches a philosophy. Let's just start there. Every system teaches a philosophy. I don't care which one it is. Whatever, philosophy, whatever system you choose, make sure you know that philosophy. Make sure it agrees with what you believe or that you are deprogramming your children every day when they come home from that system, if they're not, all right? Look, the head of the Los Angeles Teachers Union said that today, um, in spite of declining test scores and the inability of children to do well in basic disciplines, math, for example, the president of the United Teachers in Los Angeles said, Quote, it's okay that our babies may not have all learned all their times tables. They learned resilience. They learned survival. They learned critical thinking skills. They know the difference between a riot and a protest. They know the words insurrection and coup. I don't want that person teaching my kids or my grandkids. Hello? Hello? I I want my kids and grandkids understanding the basics of reading and arithmetic and history. I want them to be skilled citizens who can function in this society, and I want them to be able to see life from God's perspective, not from insurrection, coup, and some false idol that's being set up today that we're all required to bow down to. Hello? Let's move on. we got more to do. Uh, there's also mission work in this false religion of today, and they are trying to force others to bow to their system. You know what? When you and I as Christians go out and evangelize, we share the gospel with somebody, and we say, would you like to receive Christ? 
There's grace for you. There's forgiveness for you at the cross. And if someone says to us, you know, oh, that is all deeply moving, but I just, not right now. You know what you and I say? I'm going to pray for you. Is that okay if I pray for you? Because God, God has a plan for your life, and I want you to know that. No Christian in their right mind pulls out a sledgehammer in that moment and says, oh, really? You're not going to receive Christ? <laughs> you know, we, don't, we don't do that. But today, if you don't receive what they have to say, you're done. You are absolutely done. You are canceled. You are tossed off the internet. You can't participate in social media. You don't exist anymore. Your name is cast out there with all kind of negative talk surrounding it. You are tossed into the fiery furnace. Hello? It's what's happening in our world today. So that's why I could say with some pretty clear confidence, there is a false religion today. There is an idol being set up. There is a demand and a command that we bow to that idol. Back to Daniel chapter 3. Let's finish the story here. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments. I told you they were wearing government clothes. And were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the scripture's careful to make sure we remember their names, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Isn't it interesting that because you state your conviction doesn't always mean you're going to be kept safe from trouble. In fact, because they stated their conviction, it led to their persecution but it's not the end of the story. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Yes! Their conviction landed them in the fire, but their conviction is what brought Jesus into the fire because I believe this is Jesus with them in the midst of the fiery furnace. Amen? Hey, when you want to see a movement begin, God always begins with his own people, and he calls them to allegiance to him first and him only. We will not bow. And that we will not bow statement might put you in hot water. It might put you in a hot, fiery furnace. But when you are there, Jesus will show up in the midst of that fiery furnace. And that's when the movement begins. Amen? All right. We're almost finished. Ooh. Uh, verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men 
of whose body had fire or the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Verse 28. Check it out. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. Jesus showed up in the fire because they were willing to hold to their convictions and not bow. That's when a movement began. The last part of verse 28 says this. They have frustrated the king's word, yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. The world today needs to see a fresh glimpse of Jesus, amen? They've lost perspective. They've lost hope. They've turned against him. And for a change to happen, God will use his people first. He will use his church. That is us. For the movement of God to happen today, you and I must be like these men. God this far, but no more. We will not bow. We might work for you. We might be a part of you, your parties. But the minute you ask us or force us to bow to your gods, it's over. And we are so confident in our king that if we have to turn away from you, king, that our king will deliver us. So as we begin this series, join the movement. I want to be in that group. Amen? I want to be in the group that says, Lord, you can start it right here. We will be the ones. And I believe God's looking right here this morning. Who's going who's gonna to have the hearts to say, Jesus only. I'll serve Jesus only and no one else. I'll not serve what this world tells me to serve. I'll not go along with what they tell me to bow to because I have a king seated in heaven and he's redeemed me. He's called me. He's given me a purpose and that purpose begins with me being holy, separated to him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, this morning I thank you that while we were dead in our sin, without hope, you sent your son to free us. You made a way. And that way still stands open today for all. It stands open for us, for those who may be here that have not called upon your name, but they recognize they need to follow you. They need to surrender their lives to you. They need to have their sin forgiven. God, you make a way through your son. But God, then you call us as your children, your people, your church, to stand up with courage, with power, and with boldness, and declare first, among all things, that you are our king. We will bow to none other. So God, we begin with that commitment and conviction today. 
We want to be on the front edge, the leading edge of your work in this world. We trust you to be the one to lead us and we surrender our lives. We commit to you and we repent of whatever has been in the way that you alone might be the one we bow to and serve. In Jesus' name we pray.